Father, here we are in your presence, longing for you to do something new, something fresh in our hearts. We're longing for you to give us a greater love for you and a greater love for those sitting in the pews next to us in this place. God, we ask that you'd speak to us through the power of your word this morning, that we'd be changed by it, that every other voice in our mind and in our lives would be silenced, and that we would hear your voice speaking. Lord, may that be the only voice we hear through your word. Thank you so much for the transformative power that you want to give us this morning. Please pour out your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. They rushed the cooler into the car. The car began to pull out and cop cars surrounded the car. As it went down the street, they were making turns, various turns, and they had memorized the route well. And as they were going along, suddenly they realized the time frame of it. It was 6.30 in the evening when they left and they realized that they were in danger of getting in a traffic jam, but the police escort helped them as they were going along. But they had to make this transition very quickly. It was important that time didn't go by, because even though this precious object was inside of a cooler, they didn't have much time. Even though it was packed with ice, inside of this cooler was one-third of a liver. 310 grams of liver were inside of this cooler, packed with ice, on the way from one hospital to another. Did you know that your liver can't survive very long outside of your body? In fact, I would challenge you to think of one organism in your body, one part of your body that could survive outside of your body for a long period of time and then to put it back into your body. Now, some of you may have that in mind. Please come tell me afterwards if you thought of that. But it's a pretty challenging thought, isn't it, to think about the body and how fragile each element is of itself. And yet when they come together, they produce an organism that is strong, that lasts, that keeps on going. Human beings can live in some of the roughest climates on this planet. They can go through so many horrific things in their lives and keep on going. But if you take one organism and you separate it from the body, it's not going to last very long. Suddenly there needs to be a police escort, there needs to be a cooler, there needs to be ice. We've got to get this thing to the hospital as fast as possible. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll find out a little bit more about that liver at the end. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we learn about the gifts that God longs to give us in several different chapters in, 1 Corinthians, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12 has a, a list of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has a list of them. And Ephesians chapter 4 has a list. There's also some sporadically scattered throughout the New Testament. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the most extended list and description of the gifts of the Spirit. I've been enjoying this sermon series uh, for myself just to be able to dive in and learn what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to do for us? What are these gifts that he's longing to give us. And I hope you've been enjoying that. I hope you've been taking the study guides each week. And if you're not a part of a life group, at least 
going through the study guide, because just so you know, this is a totally different study. Today we might touch on a few of the same verses, but most of it is entirely different from the sermon, and that's the same way each week. So you'll find some new things in there from God's Word and some inspiration on the back as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's pick it up, starting in verse 1. He's writing to the Corinthians a letter Paul is writing in verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So how important to Paul is it that the Corinthian believers, that Christians understand the gifts of the Spirit? Very important. It's, it's something that he doesn't want them to be ignorant about. It's not something that we can just go on and live a happy Christian life and say, well, I can be totally ignorant about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about it. And he goes on to describe what ignorance about the Holy Spirit and giftedness that comes through the Holy Spirit might look like in verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles. At one point, they, didn't, they were totally disconnected from Christ. Carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. You worshipped these idols. You prayed to these gods who they couldn't even answer you back. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. How many different types of gifts are there? Diversity, right? Many different types of gifts. There's a diversity, an abundance of different types of gifts. And they're all given by what? The same Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministries. Many of you are involved in different ministries. You do many different things for God's kingdom. There's many different ways in which we serve God. It's not just one cookie-cutter mold. That if we just take one specific class, we learn how to do one specific thing, then we can share Jesus in just the right way. That's not the way that spiritual gifts work, right? There are a variety of gifts. There's differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. You see, it's when we have the Holy Spirit filling us, when we invite the presence of Jesus into our hearts, That all of these gifts, all of these activities, all of these ministries are able to take place. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Each one, to all. Given to each one for the profit of all. So I want to see hands raised this morning. How many of us who are baptized into the body of Christ have received gifts from God? Right? All of us is what the Bible tells us. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, if you've chosen to be a disciple of Jesus, you have received the Spirit and that will be manifested in your life in a way that evidences Jesus wherever you go. For to one is given the word of wisdom. So he begins to break down some of these gifts through the Spirit. To one, another, the, the, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Now, what's the difference? You see that there, there's a, a, actually a vast difference even between these first two that are listed. 
wisdom is something like Solomon had where when the two babies are, or, or the two mothers, I'm sorry, come and they say that this is my child, he doesn't have knowledge about whether or not that's the child, but he has wisdom to discern how to handle that situation. Wisdom enables us to handle the different things that come to us in life. The word of knowledge, on the other hand, is to be able to say, no, this is truth. This is what it, the Bible actually says. This is what is truth about when, when they came to Solomon. He was able to tell him that kind of plant is like this. And did you know this about nature? Did you know these birds? And he was able to have all of this knowledge as well as wisdom. So gifts of being able to speak wisdom to people, being able to speak words of knowledge. Verse 9, to another faith. By the same spirit. Now we know that this isn't like some people have faith and other people don't have faith because Romans tells us that to each has been given a measure of faith. But to some has been given in a special way the ability to have faith in an extraordinary way. That's a gift of the spirit, it tells us. To another, Gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Don't miss that. For he, he, he jumps into a comparison to a body. And he says, just as the body is one. I'm standing here. I am a human being right here. But those of you who were blessed with the, the education to be able to take anatomy, were able to, to, you could look at my body and be able to say, okay, well, there's a ton of different parts that make up his body. He has his ears. He has his nose. He's able to speak to us right now because of a myriad of parts of his body. He has his vocal cords. He has his lips. He has his mouth. There's a ton of different parts to our bodies, and yet all of it composed just one single body. And they're so different. Look at, look at your body, or think about your body, and how many parts on your body are exactly the same? You'll have pairs of things that are a mirror of each other, like your ears, your hands, your elbows, your, your arms, your legs. But even those are like opposite of each other, right? They're, they're mirrors of each other. It's not the same. There's very little exactness of uh, things that are exactly the same within your body. Paul is using this to describe the diversity of gifts that exist. And he says, what does this body represent? What does he say at the end of this verse? Just as you all are one body, so is Christ. All of these things come together and they compose something beautiful. They compose a picture of Jesus. And he's going to go ahead and keep unpacking this for us, the picture of Jesus and what that looks like as we go through this passage. But get this as we start, that you all collectively put together represent Jesus. And just as in our body, if one part is missing, it doesn't function so well. Now, there are some parts that we don't fully understand why they exist, but we know when something goes wrong with our appendix, they take it out. 
But the majority of the parts of our body, it is difficult to live without. It's a challenge. And the story that we started off this with, that person had to give up a third of their liver. And we're going to find out why they did that. But it's not simple to give up part of your body. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There's many different parts, but one body. You know, we're celebrating the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And when you think of reformers, what are some reformers who come to your mind? Can you think of any famous Protestant reformer? Who's, who's the first name that comes to your mind? Martin Luther. He's the one that we all, I mean, that's why we say 500 years, because last Tuesday, October 31, was 500 years from the day that he walked up to the church of the, in Wittenberg, and he, he nailed those 95 theses about thing, everything from the indulgences and other errors of the church. He was trying to bring a reformation within the Christian church. He was trying to point out these things that were not according to Scripture. But did you know that there were people entirely different from Martin Luther who were intimately engaged in the Protestant Reformation? You know that there were a lot of different reformers involved, but I wanted to highlight one of them today who was a close friend of Martin Luther. His name was Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was a young man, and he was a disciple of Luther. And as he began to study with Luther, within two years of knowing Martin Luther, this is what he said about Martin Luther. He said this, I would rather die than be separated from Luther. Martin's welfare is dearer to me than my own life. How good of friends had they become? These two Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon says, I would rather die than be separated from him. His, his life is dearer than my own life. I care more about Martin Luther than about my own life. But here's the thing. Philip Melanchthon was totally different from Martin Luther. He was an entirely different personality. He was not at all like Martin Luther. Martin Luther described it like this. Martin Luther said, I am rough, boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike. This helped Martin Luther to be able to brashly go against the Catholic Church and be able to say, these are all of the sins that we're, we're participating in. This is wrong. He says, I'm boisterous, I'm stormy, I'm altogether warlike. I must remove stumps and stones, cut away thistles and thorns, and clear the wild forest. But Master Philippus... That's Philip Melanchthon, comes along softly and gently, sowing and watering with joy, according to the gifts which God has abundantly bestowed upon him. Philip Melanchthon doesn't seem like somebody who would be a reformer. He was a gentle man. He was uh, soft-spoken, but he was a scholar. He knew Greek really well. He was a a, a theologian who had a way of, of looking at the grasp of the entire concepts that they were trying to do and of putting it all together in this bigger picture. Philip Melanchthon was a huge part of the Reformation. He was able to help Martin Luther, for instance, when at the struggle with, in, in Augsburg at one point, he was the one who went and represented Martin Luther and he actually wrote the Confession of Augsburg because he had such a rich grasp on the very truths that Martin Luther was trying to portray. 
In early writings, it says this about the two of them and their relationship. It says, Luther was ardent and zealous, fearless and bold. I mean, isn't that what's needed in order to make a big difference in the world? Somebody that's fearless and bold and ardent. He, in reproving sin and advocating the truth, he cared not for wicked men or devils. He knew that he had one with him mightier than they all. Luther possessed zeal, courage, and boldness, and at times was in danger of going to extremes. He was a radical. He wanted to change the world. But God raised up Melanchthon, who was just the opposite in character, to aid Luther in carrying on the work of Reformation. Melanchthon was timid, fearful, cautious, and possessed great patience. It's like all of the opposite balancing characteristics between the two, right? His knowledge of the scriptures was great, and his judgment and wisdom excellent. These two, if you saw the two side by side, you might say, how could they possibly be friends? How could they possibly become so close that, that Melanchthon could say, I would rather die than be separated from Luther. And yet they had become close. They would become one. It goes on to say, His love for the cause of God was equal to Luther's. The hearts of these men the Lord knit together. They were inseparable friends. You know, there's power in friendship. Friendship can enable us to do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. When you're close friends with somebody, it can make a rough task a whole lot more fun. Have you ever experienced that before? They were inseparable friends. You read the letters that go back and forth between them. It's beautiful. Luther was a great help to Melanchthon when in danger and being fearful and slow, a danger of being fearful and slow. And Melanchthon, in turn, was a great help to Luther when in danger of moving too fast. They balanced each other out. They, Luther kept Melanchthon from holding back too much. And Melanchthon kept Luther from charging forward too fast. Melanchthon's far-seeing caution often averted trouble, which could have come upon the cause had the work been left alone to Luther. And oftentimes, the work would not have been pushed forward had it been left to Melanchthon. I was shown the wisdom of God in choosing these two men to carry on the work of reformation. God needs a variety of personalities and talents. He gives a variety of gifts. He's made each and every one of you entirely different. And every single one of us is essential to representing Jesus to the community. And when one part is lacking, it affects the entire body. When one part says, I'm not that important, I'm going to hold back, it impacts the rest of the body's ability to function properly. We keep on reading in verse 13 of chapter 12. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. If you haven't been baptized, I just want to make this invitation right here. The Bible is clear that to be baptized into the body of Christ is essential for our salvation and for our experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and of being gifted for ministry. So I want to invite you. Make, come talk to me. Come talk to, to Ron. Come talk to, to some of the leaders here. We'd love for, uh, to lead you into a process of studying towards baptism and ensuring that you have experienced being baptized into the body of Christ. You become a member of a group when you are baptized. 
whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all that's done away with when we're baptized and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. You never see just a liver off by itself. You never see a kidney just off by itself. An arm can't survive on its own. They have to be together in order for life to take place. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? I mean, your foot, it it might think, well, I'm not able to grab things. I have less prominent features and I'm, I'm not as visible and I'm not as much a part of things. And so I'm not really important. In our work as a church, as we represent Jesus in the community, sometimes you might feel like, well, I'm just doing this little task. It makes no difference. I can just stop and walk away. Somebody else could do it, or maybe it won't even get done and it won't matter. But that's not the case. Paul says you all are essential. The foot is just as essential. How many of you have ever sprained a toe or broken a toe before? How much did that impact your ability to function in life? I remember one day when I had a friend who texted me and he said, okay, let's go surfing. I was in Santa Cruz for some meetings at that time, and it was a friend who taught me originally how to surf. I'm not very very good at surfing. I'm not like Corey, but I, I was a little bit of a surfer, and so whenever I came into town, he always wanted to encourage me to go surfing with him, and so he calls me up or texts me and says, okay, let's go, let's go surfing uh, day after tomorrow. Well, The next day came, and I went out with some friends, and we were skimboarding on the beach. And as we were skimboarding on the beach, I was learning how to skimboard for the first time. And I remember throwing the skimboard and jumping on it a few times, having a a few hard falls, like Matt Giese did at uh, the—you didn't fall very hard, but at the—if you missed uh, our—what was it called? The corn roast, when they had a skimboard down on the beach, and it's a pretty challenging thing. Well, I was trying to learn how to skimboard, and one time I— threw it out, and I ran and I jumped, and my left foot went on, and my right foot went in the sand, and my big toe alone was stuck in the sand, and so then I went forward and my big toe stayed in the sand, (laughs) and it was pretty painful. (laughs) All it was was my big toe. How important could a big toe be? But I remember texting my friend and sheepishly saying that night, you know, I don't think I can go surfing tomorrow. My big toe hurts. (laughs) A little part of your body, if it's injured, if it's not functioning properly, can impact the entire system. That's what it says in the Desire of Ages, page uh, 417. Selfishness is death. When, when there's a, a, an inward focus in our lives, it, it brings about death. No organ of the body could live should it confine its service to itself. If you think about your body, it's all functioning in harmony. It should all work together. And you're happy and healthy and doing your best when everything is working together properly. When everything is harmonizing and giving to other organs within your body, and everything is working in harmony. The heart failing to send its lifeblood to the hand and the head would quickly lose its power. As our lifeblood, so is the love of Christ diffused through every part of his mystical body. We are members one of another, and the soul that refuses to impart will perish. You see the seriousness 
of what Paul is saying here. He's saying you are a body. And just because you're a foot and you might just do some carrying along of the rest of what's going on and you do the footwork, don't think that's not important. That's absolutely essential. Use your gifts and, and use them to give and do for me. Use it to glorify Jesus, to represent Jesus wherever you are. Because it matters. The rest of the body can't function without you. It keeps on going after talking about the, the foot. It says, uh, we were in verse 21, I think we were, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. This is really true when you think about your body. The most important organs in your body are usually the ones that are the most fragile. For instance, your heart. Or, you know, that's the part that, that they target if, you're, if somebody's wanting to kill you. The heart is a very fragile organism, and yet it's essential to your entire body. Your brain is, is a very fragile part of your body, and yet it is essential to the rest of your body. Your eye is, is something that enables you to see so much beauty and color. It's so complex, and it's so important. But what it, would it be without the bones around your eye? What, what would happen with your eye? Your eye would would end up getting gouged out. Terrence, just a, uh, Terrence Carter is in Hawaii right now doing Bible work. And it was a few weeks ago that I got this video from him, from Instagram. And he said, I was out surfing and I ducked under a wave because I saw the surfer was catching this wave. And it, you know, it was a pretty huge wave. They have massive waves there. And he said, I, I came up on the other side of the wave and didn't realize that the surfer had turned out of the wave. And the board crashed into me and the fin caught me right across the top of my eye. And he was just praising God. He actually was with a videotape just showing the gap and like making it talk. <laughs> it's kind of gross. But he was saying, I'm just so glad that it didn't get my eye. Can you imagine what would have happened to my eye? We can be thankful for even the simple bones that protect our face, that shield our, the, the ribs that shield our heart. There are important parts of our body that may not seem all that glorious, that may not seem all that magnificent, and yet, without them, we would be in a world of hurt. It's the same way in the body. We've got to work together. We've got to come together to represent Christ. You know, I see this evidenced on a monthly basis in some of our committees, that first part where it says some have the word of wisdom and others have the word of faith. We're about to go into our finance committee's experience of budget forming for the new year. This is a fun time, especially for Ralph. Pray for him as he deals with all of us and brings us all together. But you know, I appreciate something about Ralph, and that is that Ralph has been gifted to look at the details. He has wisdom to, to know and to look for things that might be coming from down the road that I don't think about. And there's some other people on our committee that don't think about. Some people on our committee are gifted with faith, and they say, let's go for it. Let's do this. Let's make a huge budget. Let's go all the way. And Ralph is saying, well, what about this? What about that? What about... We need each other. In that moment, we could say, oh, 
you are too different. I'm going to go form my own group. I'm going to go make my own budget. I want you off the finance committee. No. We come together. We press closer together. And the closer we come together, the more we can harmonize those different tunes into a beautiful melody that will finally lead us to the purpose that Jesus has for us in representing him to this world. We can't do it alone. We can't do it without each other. We've got to press together. We've got to learn to become friends like Luther and Melanchthon were. When we're that close, when we would rather die than be separated from each other, then there's going to be a reformation that takes place in this country. There's going to be a reformation in the world as they say, look at those Christians. Look at how they love each other. Look at Temple of the Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church. They work together. There's a lot of differences among them. They may not all be the same, but yet they cling together. They work together. They love each other. And that's really where Paul's headed here. As he keeps going through, he's talking about how those that are weaker are really necessary. He, we'll skip down a little bit into it. Verse 26 says that, or verse 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. It's painful when there's a a separation, a a wound in the the body. There should be no separation or pulling apart in the body. We've got to press together even when there are differences of opinion. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. I want that to be a reality in my own heart, don't you? That it's not just about me and the, the trial that I'm going through and how I'm worried about this situation in my life, but, but when you're going through something, I'm worried about you. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about the stuff you're going through. I am empathizing with you. This is the type of love that God longs to have in the body of Christ. This is what he wants to give us. And it's something so beautiful and so powerful that the more it becomes a reality, the more people are going to flock to want to be a part of it. Because they see something real, something genuine in us. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You are the body of Christ. This is something that sounds cliche. It's something that we're used to hearing. And yet this is phenomenal. Nobody today can see what Jesus physically looks like. I've seen the Newsweek cover that tried to imagine what he might have looked like. It's a lot different from a lot of our paintings of Jesus. But what does Jesus really look like? He looks like when all of us come together and serve. You are the body of Christ. How will people out there know what Jesus looks like? It's when we come together and we serve. And how does Jesus live? What did Jesus spend the majority of his time doing? Serving. And how did it, how, what were some of the biggest things he did? Healing. You think about it, he walked through village after village, city after city, and it says that everybody that touched him, power was coming out from him and they were being healed. He was making people's lives better. When he walked into a village, when he sent his disciples into a village, the entire village was different because he'd been there. That's why he could teach that it's more blessed to give than to receive because he constantly was giving. Like Mark 10.35 says, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. This is what the body of Christ does. This is how it operates. 
So Leah and I were praying about this topic and thinking about this, and as we were talking about it, you know what I have seen most clearly demonstrate in Templeton Hills, the body of Christ? I think it probably is something like the Hope Clinic. Those of you who are part of the Hope Clinic, in fact, many of you were a part of the Hope Clinic, this is an opportunity where we have got to physically touch people in our community in a way that makes a difference for them. For those of you who weren't able to be a part of it, it's an opportunity to provide dental care and eye care for those in our community who don't have insurance, who can't provide that for themselves. And we might look at an event like that and we might, we might say, okay, well, this is great because we're in a church with six dentists in it. And, and if we just, if we get, you know, Jeff Kaler and Jeff Shepard and, and Jerry and Lauren and Stan, if we just get them together, they can just heal the people and it'll be great. But if we only had six people, Ron, how many, how many teeth could you fix without the team that, that, that comes on the day of the Hope Clinic? You could, you could get through one, right? Because once, once he'd gone through one patient, his tools would be dirty, and then he wouldn't have Dell over there, and I think it was Nadine and some others who was in sterilization. I had Leah make some lists for me here. So we had Dell and Nadine and Chris were in sterilization, and this isn't a comprehensive list by any means, but these were some of the people who were there making sure that the instruments were able to be reused because they had been sterilized. But there wasn't just that. We had the people at the doors who were greeting. We had uh, people cleaning teeth. We had Joy and Roxana and Danielle doing cleaning. We had people doing physical therapy and massage out here. Olga and David and Leo. We had people working in the vision department. You think about all the work that went into getting glasses to people. In fact, we sometimes think it's just a one-day event. There's a lot of preparation that goes into the Hope Clinic. There's a lot of work that comes out of it. Beverly, for one, spent weeks calling people, trying to connect with them in order to get them the glasses that we wanted to give them. And it's not always an easy thing, even though it's a free thing. But she got the opportunity to connect with people. We had people working on our lunch for us. I mean, your gift might just be to cook, and yet you can represent Jesus by cooking. Tracy and Ellen and Paula and Georgia were in the kitchen fixing an amazing meal that gave us all strength as they ministered to us through their work in the kitchen. You had Alice sitting out here working and typing in all of the names who came through, and now we have a list of people that we can contact when we want to be able to offer things that are helpful in the future. If she hadn't have done that, we would have had to spend hours more. Somebody else would have had to come back and do that later on. We had uh, Joy Berquist and Debbie English at the front doors. It was important to man the front doors to make sure that people could flow in properly. You see that there were so many different things that had to be done. More than just the six dentists who come and actually do a cavity filling or a root canal. There's a lot more that goes into it as we represent the body of Christ. There's, I think of one that's, that's really cool, Cody and Faustino. I don't know if Cody's here today. Yeah, Cody, right? You know what Cody's job was at the Hope Clinic? He took out all the waste that was constantly being produced in the dental clinic and would take trash bag after trash bag of it out. 
It's not a glorious job, and yet Cody's willing to serve and to give and to do, and it made an impact on people. People's lives were changed through it. And yet, next year, Cody could be like, you know what, I'm tired of carrying trash, I don't think I want to do that. And it could cause a huge problem for the entire Hope Clinic. Do you see how every member of the body, when it works together, when all of the details are being cared for, when you, you have the organs in your body that are taking care of the trash, that are, you have the heart circulating the blood, you need all of these things to go on in order for the entire body to be there. But when just one part holds back and focuses in on themselves, says, I I don't really need to be a part of that. They've got plenty of other people just doing the work. It's pointless because we can't do it without you. Just one part of your body, one organ in your body getting sick affects the entire body. I recently uh, heard a message by Francis Chan. He was a really popular evangelical pastor down in Southern California. He was pastoring this big mega church, and they had bought some huge acreage near the Reagan Library. Cost them twenty million. They were going to build this huge twenty million dollar church. And as they were thinking about this huge vision and and bringing thousands of people to be able to come to a church to worship together. Week after week, he would stand there and he began to realize something. He said, here I am, this huge organization, millions of dollars going into all of this, and there's simply one mouth at the front of the congregation each week talking. He said, this isn't the body of Christ. You know what he did? He walked away from all of that. He went up to San Francisco and he started something called We Are the Church, where he simply has gone door to door, ministering to people and becoming friends with people and getting people to join in. And then they have house churches that meet together on a regular basis and they're all just reading through the Bible. And he said, we're just going to read the Bible and do whatever it says in the Bible. We're just going to live our lives based on the Bible. He said, no longer am I just going to be a mouth up there talking and dragging this entire congregation along, but I'm going to start a whole new movement that is focused on everybody being the body of Christ. When we finally get that it's not about the pastor standing up here. And if if the pastor could just make better sermons, that would be a wonderful thing. But it's not going to finish God's work. We need the whole body. We need every single part to come together. And in order for that to happen, we've got to press together. We've got to become friends with the people in the pew next to us. We've got to not just pass by each other and say, Good morning, how are you? I'm good. And, and then go on our merry way. We've got to enter into each other's lives. We've got to get to know each other. We've got to become friends. This is the picture that you see in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, it tells us that they were together with one accord in the upper room. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says they were praying together with one accord. That is how the Holy Spirit was able to be poured out because they were all pressing together. God wants to bring us to life to represent the body of Christ. But He can only do it when we agree that we've all got to be in this together. We've got to press together. We've got to become closer friends. I praise God for Steve Mulder and his team taking on the the social committee activities of the church. And this is an amazing opportunity for us to become better friends together. We can work together. We can press together. And through that, we can learn how to be the body 
of Christ. God's longing for us to do this. I love what it says in uh, the book, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9. It says this, page 221. If Christians were to act in concert, moving forward as one under the direction of one power for the accomplishment of one purpose, they would move the world. In your study guide, you'll look at the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 and verse 20 when he said, Lord, make us one as as you and I are one. Make them one in us so that the world can believe that you sent me. There's power when we come together, when we press together as friends. I don't know how to make it any clearer than Paul has already made it in Scripture. But I just know this, I don't want you to walk out of here today feeling like it's okay just to come through the motions of coming to church, but not to press close to your church family, to become a part of things, to to really get involved and be engaged and to use the giftedness that God has given you. As that cooler entered into the children's hospital, They had already prepared for it. There had been an hour-long surgery preparing the little four-year-old body of Joey to receive that liver. You see, Joey was born with a disease that, that basically both of his kidneys had to be removed when he was weeks old. And because of both of his kidneys being removed, he had to be on constant dialysis. And being on constant dialysis, it, it kept him from being able to live a normal four-year-old life, but also things weren't done, I guess, perfectly, properly. And I'm, I'm a, a layman when it comes to any medical terms, but little Joey, his liver, they ended up finding, was in bad shape. And if he didn't get a transplant, he was in big trouble. His mom began to be in earnest about how do we find a, a, a transplant for him? How do we get a liver for him? But the problem is that there aren't enough organ donors or, or there are not enough people dying that could get a, a liver to a four-year-old child. But then the mom found out about something. The doctors didn't tell her. They were afraid that they might be seen as influencing her, but, but she found out that there's actually something called a live transplant. She found out that she herself could go under surgery. So at 10.30 a.m. that morning, Joey's mom in a separate hospital went under the knife, and she received a 10-inch a, a incision that went straight down from, from her, her diaphragm down 10 inches to get her 310 grams of her liver, one-third of her liver, taken out. Because she wanted Joey to be able to live, to have a normal life. She knew that without a liver, he couldn't go on living. She knew that she loved him so much that she wanted to give whatever she could possibly give to make his life better. And at the time of the surgery, she, uh, actually when she woke up from the surgery, by that evening, she snuck out of the hospital. She asked the nurse to, to disconnect her from her IVs, and she snuck out in her gown. She hailed a taxi, and she had to go to the hospital to be able to see her little boy and to watch him recover and to be there with him for at least a minute before she went back to finish her own recovery. And the article goes on to talk about her, that she planned to go ahead and give one of her own kidneys to her son. That kind of selflessness, 
can only come from a deep love like a mother has for a child. And yet that's the picture of the love that God wants to exist within the body. He wants for us to have such a selfless love that like Melanchthon had for Luther, that I would rather die than be separated from you. That I love you so much, like Paul says, that that when you suffer, I suffer. I feel what you're going through. It hurts me. Friends, let's press together. There's a blessing when we give radically for each other. When we give to each other and build each other up and press together, even in the midst of our differences, some of us may see things completely different. But so long as we keep following Jesus, when we keep true to Scripture, we can keep pressing together and know that Jesus will be represented in our community. We will become the body of Christ. Friends, I just want to invite you to pray together at this time. Um, I want to invite you to find one or two other people near you, or if you're not comfortable with that, that's okay. You can go ahead and bow your head and pray at this time, but just to pray that God would bind us together like a body, and that if any person in this building is neglecting to use their gifts, that God would pull them in, that God would involve them, that we would know how to give the invitation, because there's so much work that can be done. There are people who want Bible studies. There are people who, who need to be ministered to. There are so many opportunities. There are vacant ministries in our church that you could be involved in. God wants to do great things. We've got to press together. We've got to be filled with His Spirit and gifted to be the body of Christ. Go ahead and pray with one or two people next to you or pray on your own if you prefer. Go ahead and just bow your heads. But just to ask that God would make us the body of Christ, that we would really be a representation to this world of who Jesus is. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us such a high calling to represent you on this planet, to be a revelation of who you are, that we could be the body of Christ. God, we are so unworthy of this, and so we desperately plead that you would pour out your Holy Spirit so that we can love each other and love this world the way that you've called us to. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, you know how how frustrating it can be to me to feel like my words fall so far short of describing the beautiful picture of what you have for us. But God, we believe there's more. We believe you want to do something miraculous and powerful, that you don't just want us to go on with business as usual. Time is too short. Lives are at risk. Salvation. Father, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us, that you would draw us together, that you would lead us to press together, that you would unite us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would lead us to love the world the way that you have loved it in laying down our lives. Father, thank you so much for blessing my friends. Thank you for the friendship that is already shared in this church, and I just pray that you would deepen it, that you would make it more and more precious, that we would have that same love for each other that Luther and Melanchthon shared, that we would be close-knit friends, that we would suffer with each other, that we would lift each other up, that we would have care for each other. Lord, we want to be filled with you. Please pour out your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.